share with you this morning, something that's probably uh, a little bit close to my heart, and hopefully it'll help you as well. And that is that I probably lived most of my life um, under this kind of illusion that there's got to be something better just around the corner. Yeah, there's got to be something better, you know, like, yep, loving my life right now, but surely it gets better than this. I don't know about you, but but before I was pastoring and I was in a, the job that I was in, I used to I used to sit down and someone say, what do you do at work? I get there, I answer the phone, I talk to clients, I put down the phone, I send emails, I put tenders together, I answer the phone, I talk to clients, I put down the phone, and then about five o'clock I go home. And I really felt like my life was pretty meaningless. And I had this thought in my head that all the time, all the way through, even from a young age, it's like if when I get to here, you know, when I was younger, when I get my license, my life will be better. Yeah? Then I got my license, and it's when I get a car. Then when I get my own car, then my life will be better. Then once I got a car, it's like when I get myself a girlfriend, my life will be better. You're so, you're looking at me like I'm the only person that does this. And then once I, I found the right woman, then it's like once, once I get married, then life will be better. Once I have kids, life will be better. Then once I get a promotion, life will be better. Once I get a house, life will be better. Now that I've got a house, once I get a better house, it's like my, it's been my whole life really with this illusion that something better was around the corner and it matters more than what I'm doing right now. That whatever is coming next is more important than what's right now. That, that, that this desire, that event that I'm looking for to bring meaning and fulfillment to my life, that significant moment that I've been looking for is just around the corner. It's, it's not in this moment, it's not here right now, it's somewhere out there. You know that constant thing, as I said, when I get a car, when I get a job, when I get a house, when I get married, when I get, when I get, we always are looking for the next bigger and better thing in our lives and we think that once we find those things and life is really going to start. But what I've discovered through my life is that in living with that thought process, what I end up doing is wishing away the season that I'm currently in. I can wish away the season that I'm currently in, waiting for the next one to come. You know, that one day just around the corner moment. I remember when the kids were, were little, and, and I remember wishing for the day that they can go to the toilet and wipe their own bottoms. No, you like to wipe your children's bottoms? Anybody here like doing nappies? Put your hand up if you like doing nappies, especially the ones where they bubble away and sneak out the top and go up their backs. Anybody into that? I've just put every single young person off children now. And, and I can remember, and now that they're older and I love them and I enjoy all my time with them, but then when I see little cute babies, like baby Judah, I'm like, oh, I so wish I had a, so wish they were back at that age again. They were so cute. But when they were that age, I was wishing that they'd be the age that they are now. You know how we can kind of walk through life and we can wish for the next thing so much that next accomplishment, that next achievement, that next friendship, that next position, that next vacation, it will be the something that fills the emptiness on the inside of me. It's got, there's got to be something else out there that is better than what I have right now. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but I guarantee you in this place that just about all of us have experienced that in some way. And our, our culture totally and completely feeds this mindset. 
You just have to watch TV, yeah, and watch the ads on TV. If you have this car, your life will be complete. If you drink Coca-Cola, your life will be amazing. You'll end up having parties on, on deserted beaches all over the world just by drinking Coca-Cola. That you can take Coca-Cola down to a really bad beach, but if you drink it, it turns into this island paradise. Yes? Everything that we see on social media is all about, and advertising is all about, if you gratify yourself, if you look after yourself, if you indulge yourself, if you get whatever you want, you deserve, treat yourself, then your life will be complete. But the problem with this is that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, don't treat yourself, deny yourself. The problem with everything that we've been taught about the next best thing is just around the corner, wish away the current season that you're in, indulge yourself, get what you want, have that nicer car. Have a, and I'm not saying having nice cars and houses are a bad thing at all. It's just when they have you that they become a bad thing. And what Jesus is saying is he said, don't treat yourself, deny yourself. And there's this really key scripture that I want to share with you this morning, which is really the foundation of what I'm going to say today. And that's in 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, whatever you do, Do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you're doing washing, whether you're changing nappies, whether you're picking up the kids, whether you're running errands for your boss, whether you're doing something that you feel like is not that big a deal, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God of God. And when I look at much of my life, if I'm really honest, whatever I do most of the time is mostly for me. I want to do what makes me happy. Yes? I want to do what makes me feel good. But Jesus says that you deny yourself because whatever you do, if you want it to have meaning, then do it for the glory of God. So I've learned something over the last wee while that the prize isn't out there. The prize is right here, right in the now, the right here. It's not out there somewhere. It's right here. The prize isn't in what gets accomplished occasionally. The prize in life is what you do daily when you do it for the glory of God. So what if your work is the reward? What if the prize is the process? What if you can actually be grateful in the grind of life, in the mundane, in the daily things? What if you can be grateful of that? What if whatever you do, you can find meaning and fulfillment and divine satisfaction when you do it all for the glory of God? What if that thing that you think is so boring, if you change your perspective and said, I'm doing this for the glory of God. What if that then brings a satisfaction that you're looking for? In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10, the apostle Paul said this, for I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He didn't just persecute, he went around murdering Christians. That's what he did before he found Christ. But it says here in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, And his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, it changed me. He says, no, I worked harder than all of them. 
Yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. I think that when we read the first part, verse 9, that's a story about us. It's a story certainly about me, that I wasn't good, that I wasn't always righteous, that I wasn't living right. But by the grace of God, by his undeserved favor, I, I am now who I am today. I've become who I am because of, not because I'm good, but because he was good. You are who you are today, not because you're good, but because he was good towards you. It's his grace that has transformed me. I, I, I wasn't good, I wasn't righteous, I wasn't living right, but his grace transformed me. And now I'm becoming more, and you are becoming more, if you know Christ, more about who he wants you to be, because his grace for you is not without an effect. It will affect you if you are, if you are truly following Christ, if you are truly pursuing a relationship with Jesus, his grace has an effect on you. If it's not having an effect on you, I would question where you are in your relationship because it says here that it did not go without effect. And I don't know about you, but I'm where I am today, not because I'm brilliant, because I'm not. If you spend enough time with me, I've learned something really, really, took me a wee while, but I've learned something really smart. Don't be the smartest person in the room. Surround yourself with people that are more intelligent than you are, because then you can get somewhere in life. But it's, I'm not where I am because I'm skilled. I'm where I am because of his grace. And it has had an effect on me. Paul is saying here, I, I, I am only who I am by the grace of God. I'm only who I am by the grace of God, but I worked harder than the rest of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I, I kind of think it's interesting that he says here, I worked harder than all of them. In other words, I worked harder than any of the other apostles. I did more hours. I started earlier. I finished later. I worked harder than all of them. It kind of, kind of sounds like Paul's saying, yes, God's grace affected me, but you need to know, out of all the apostles, I was the one that worked the hardest. Have you ever felt like that? You know, you're in the workplace and the boss is singing the praises of somebody else and you feel like, going, excuse me, I'd just like to point out that you may like him, but I started at 8 o'clock this morning. He started at 9 o'clock this morning. I work harder than all of them. Have you? No, none of you are like that. Okay, awesome. I'll move on then. It was a bad example. He says, I worked harder than the rest of them. But he says, but it wasn't me that was doing the work. I love this. It wasn't me that was doing work. It was the grace of God through me was doing the work. See, I don't think Paul is bragging here about how much work he did. I don't think Paul is trying to get your attention to say, hey, you need to know I was the hardest working apostle. I, I don't believe that what Paul is saying here, what I believe is that he's, he's not bragging and he's not complaining and saying the others were lazy. He's not saying that. I think he was just stating a matter of truth, a matter of fact. And he's really saying, by the grace of God, I worked hard. I worked really hard. And he's saying that I've been so transformed by that grace, by what Jesus has did, because of who he was and what he did. I was so transformed by that. I was so affected by that that I just got to work and I worked hard. 
He's basically saying here, I decided that whatever I was going to do, I was going to do it for his glory. And I worked harder than all of them to make sure that God's glory was seen in everything that I did. See, Paul is not wishing away his current season. In fact, Paul never wished away any of his seasons. When he was in prison, Paul didn't sit there complaining according to the scriptures and say, one day when I'm finally out of prison, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that changes the world. No, Paul decided, here I am in prison, there's somebody behind me in chains, so I'm going to speak to them and see their lives transform. I'm in prison. Well, I've got time up my sleeve. Give me a pen and some paper and let me write a letter to the Philippians and help them grow. He he was like, no matter where I am, no matter what the situation is, I'm going to use it for the glory of God. I'm going to make sure that I don't sit here complaining and griping about that I'm in prison. I'm going to go, okay, how can I use this current season for the glory of of God, give me a pen. Let me do some writing. I'm just going to do whatever I can right in this moment for the glory of God. When he was shipwrecked, Paul didn't turn around and blame God and, and say to God, why have you let me down? I mean, you know, I prayed for your protection and here I am shipwrecked. He's like, you know what? This is what he literally says to the people after they've been shipwrecked. He goes, you know what? We didn't die. So we might as well keep going. God must still be with us, was his response. In the middle of a shipwreck, most people will be like, God has abandoned us, he's not with us, the devil's attacking us. And Paul's response is, we didn't die, so God must still be with us. Woohoo! Let's get moving. Let's get going. You know, I don't know how this would apply to you in your life. I don't, I don't know where you're at with your life, but, but I would suggest to you that when you're changing nappies, when you're doing the washing, when you're doing something for the boss, you, you've just got to say that in that moment which you think is insignificant, in that moment that you think is mundane, that you can say in this moment, at this time, even though what I'm doing may not be incredibly sexy right now, from the outside. In other words, it doesn't look really awesome from the outside. But with integrity, I'm going to do it and with purity of heart and with the heart of a servant and I'm going to declare that this task is now being done for the glory of God. In fact, I don't think that there's anything that we do more important than raising our children for the glory of God. I think the greatest thing we do is raising our children, is looking after them, is and raising them. I think it's the most important role that we can ever play. It's not a mundane thing. It's something that we can do for the glory of God. That I can, when I live this way, suddenly when I wake up, and I start to realize that what I'm doing today, I can do for the glory of God. I start to realize that maybe my work is my reward, that maybe the prize is in the process, and that in everyday life, when you're grinding it out, just doing the normal things, I can actually say, I'm grateful that I get to do this. I'm grateful that I get to do this. I'm grateful that I get to do this. I can be grateful in the middle of the grind, in the middle of the mundane, in the middle of the things that I'm doing that I don't think are significant when I understand and I filter what I'm doing through 
the glory of God. Now, I think that there are three things this morning that I want to share with you that are enemies of true reward. And the first one would be this, the pillow. The pillow, that's the comfort factor, yes? Uh, hey, I've said this myself. Once, once we get ahead financially and, and we get ourselves into a, a, a good house and get a few things around us, once we're comfortable financially and life is a little bit easier, then we will do this. Then we will do that. When I just get a little bit further in my career, and, and, and then I'll back off the hours that I'm working once, once I get to that level. I, once, once I get into a position where life is a little bit easier, and I can take life a little bit easy, then, then, then I'll be okay. The, the pillow, it's the, it's the comfort factor, it's the seduction of comfort, of wanting life to be a little bit easy. Let me just say this to you this morning, if that's you. I hope you'll understand that God never called us to live easy. He called us to deny ourselves. He didn't call you to a life of comfort. He called you to a life that changes the world. And easy never changed anything. Easy never changed anything. I don't know what you think about the man I'm about to mention, but I've been, I watched a documentary on Netflix about Bill Gates. It's called Bill's Brain. And it's really a story of how he's trying to change in the third world things like, like um, sewage and all that sort of stuff because they just don't have the money to build these magnificent sewage plants. And so he's trying to come up with these other ways to do it. Then in the next one, he's trying to eradicate polio throughout the world. And he nearly gets there, but then Baka Haram start up in Nigeria and kind of stuffs it all up for him. And, and then he's trying to produce ways to produce energy which doesn't cause any emissions to the environment and he's, and then something happens and then that's not, but the thing is, is this, is that I'm watching this thing and I'm like, man, you have spent billions and billions and billions of not just your money, but other people's money and none of it has worked so far. Like, isn't that failure? That's what I'm thinking. But this guy was just, he's just like determined. He's not giving up. He's not quitting. He is still going. He will not quit. He is not going to sit back in the comfort of his billions of dollars that he's made for his life and go, you know what? I, I tried. I'm just going to take it easy now. We tried to eradicate polio in the world, but I'll, I'll just take it easy now. We gave it a shot. No, no, he, he's going back to his financial backers and saying, I need another $4 billion to make this happen. He's not quitting. He's not sitting back in the comfort. And he said this, Anything that's worth doing is never easy to do. And I want to say to you this morning, God doesn't call us to live an easy life. He calls us to deny ourselves. And easy never changed the world. The pillow cries out, just be comfortable, you'll be okay. The second thing that I think destroys gratefulness in our lives is the shiny thing. The shiny thing, the allure of the constant constant distractions, you know, the bing, ooh, I wonder who, wonder who texted me, I've just posted on Instagram, I wonder how many likes I've got, come on, it's the constant distractions, oh, I wonder what, what so-and-so posted about that on Facebook, I wonder what so-and-so said about this, the next thing you know, 
you know, you, you're kind of being constantly distracted all the time. And, and, and then there's like, no, like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to waste away my life on Netflix, but, you know, it just keeps rolling. And that next program had a 99% match that I would like it. It recommended it, that I'm going to like it. So it must be the will of God at 99%. I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but you know what I'm saying, yes? Or how about this one? We overprogram our kids because we're so distracted. We've got to get little Mikey into the elite soccer training school so that he can get a scholarship. I know he's only three, but if we don't start now, come on, we, we, we just get so distracted by, by all this stuff. We get overly involved, and, and for me... Those, those distractions, those alluring things, those things that kind of promise but never deliver, they're like the carrot in front of the donkey and we just continually start to chase the carrot and you never seem to find real satisfaction because you're being fooled by the shiny thing. There's the comfort thing, the pillow. There's the shiny thing, the allure of something else. And the third thing that I think that robs us of gratefulness is the towel. The towel. The perpetual temptation to quit, to throw in the towel. When my marriage gets difficult, I'm going to throw in the towel. When my finances aren't coming together, and we've tried, and we've been working on this budget now for three weeks, but it's just not working for us. So let's just go out for dinner anyway and buy that new dress, and we'll just charge it to the credit card. We're just going to throw in the towel. Well, Christianity, you got to understand, man, I, I, I tried God. I mean, I went to church twice. I read my Bible for a week. And, and you know what? Uh, it, nothing really happened. I went to church and no one talked to me. They were mean. They weren't kind. I didn't like it. There's nowhere to park my car. It's too hard to find a parking space. So forget it. You know, I'm out of here. I'm throwing in the towel. I have seen people, time, life is getting too hard. And so this whole Christianity thing isn't really working for me, so I'm just going to throw in the towel. Here's the crazy thing about that, is that you're throwing in the towel on your Christianity of following the creator of the universe, the God that holds the universe between his thumb and his forefinger, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the healer, the provider, the saviour, the, the everything. You're throwing in the towel on that because you don't think that he can solve this. You throw in the towel all the time about all sorts of things, and suddenly we just realize we just, we just keep quitting all the time. And so can I just suggest this to you, that rather than throwing in the towel when things get tough, why don't you pick up the towel, wipe the sweat off your forehead, and get back into the daily grind of what you're doing, of doing whatever you're doing in that moment for the glory of God, and then suddenly you realize that work is your reward, that the prize is in the process, and that I can be grateful every single day in the grind. My dad used to say this to me all the time, son, in your pursuit of getting from where you are to where you're going, don't forget to stop and smell the roses along the way. In other words, be grateful about every step that you're going. We hear things like, hey, you know what you need to do? You know what the answer for you is? Follow your passion. 
Follow your passion. Follow your heart. Do whatever your heart tells you to do. Here's just one slight problem with that, is that your passion doesn't pay the bills. Yes? Your passion doesn't always pay the bills. Your passion doesn't always keep the lights on. The problem with passion is that selfish passion is about us. The problem with pursuing your passion when it's selfish passion, it becomes about you. It becomes about what you want. There is a higher calling that the Bible speaks of, and it's not selfish passion, but it's selfless purpose. See, passion is not what you should pursue, it's purpose that you should pursue. Once you start to recognize that what you're doing is God's purpose, it may not be your passion, but it's God's purpose. That's what's so amazing is that your passion will always follow your purpose. When we pursue purpose, passion comes into a line with our purpose. When God is the starting point, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And you start to realize in the middle of even what you may not have chosen to do, that God still has a purpose. And then when you recognize that you're doing what God has called you to do, even in this moment, though it may not be your favorite thing, you realize that this is his purpose. And when you are serving his purpose, your passions start to always follow your purpose. Your passions start to align with your purpose. That's why Jesus said this, the scripture says this, that he will give you the desires of your heart, but your desires of your heart line up with the purpose that he has. And really what he's saying is this, is that as you pursue his purpose, your desires line up with his desires, and then he gives you the desires of your heart because they're aligned with your purpose. And Paul has his own passions. There are things that the Apostle Paul got excited about. I'm pretty sure he wasn't that passionate about being beaten and stoned and left for dead. It wasn't like, woohoo, I get to do this with my life. Praise God. Can you pick up, that rock's too small. Can you pick up the bigger one? I want a really big one to hit me because I'm doing this for Jesus. You're hard work today, I tell you. I'm sure he didn't have a passion about being beaten and left for dead that was never, oh, I, if I could do that, if I could just be beaten, if I could just be whipped and stoned and left for dead, my life would be complete. If you live that way, there's something wrong with you. But here's the thing, the reason why Paul could go through all of that is because instead of living Instead of pursuing selfish, self-centered passion, what he did is he pursued Christ's purpose. And he says that best in Acts 20, 24. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. Complete the purpose that the Lord has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Remember he said right at the start, he said, I worked harder than all of them, but it was because of his grace 
that had an effect on me that I did it. My only dream, he's saying here, is to fulfill God's purpose for my life. What does purpose do? Purpose helps us to feel passionate about the ordinary things. Purpose helps us to feel passionate about the ordinary things. I know I'm raising my children, and and you would have this too, where sometimes it, it gets a little bit frustrating from time to time. Just Probably just of my kids. Your kids are all perfect. So it's probably just my children that, that happens every now and then. But when I remember that children are a gift from God, that God in all of his wisdom turned around and said, the best parents for raising Madison and Seth are Craig and Trinity, and I'm going to gift them to them. When I understand that children are his gift to me, then all of a sudden my perspective starts to change in regards to them. Oh, these are God's gift. Well, then if God's given them to them, there must be a purpose in that. And then my passions can align with the purpose. Passion helps us to feel passion. Purpose helps us to feel passionate about the ordinary things, the mundane things. Some of those ordinary things start to take on meaning. Whatever I do, even if it's boring, insignificant, even if it's admin. Anybody here like doing administration? Father, help them in Jesus' name. I hate admin. If I have an opportunity of having a coffee with you or doing paperwork, I'm going to go for the coffee every single time. But I've learned something, that sometimes doing what is boring, if you understand that you're doing it for the glory of God, to build the church, to make sure that we are aligned legally so that nothing bad happens to us, all of a sudden the purpose of what we're doing starts to bring about a passion. I have never become so passionate about structures and processes as I have in the last year and a half or so as I've started to look. I never wanted to hear about any of those things before. Why, why do we need structure and process? We can just dream about all the stuff that we can do, yes? But I'm passionate now because I understand the purpose in these things and I'm doing it for the glory of God. And some of you, you, you will have experienced this, that even as you're serving and you're doing something that's mundane, like our host team people, as you're making coffee, you're making it for the glory of God. As you're welcoming somebody into church, you're doing it for the glory of God. As you're ushering and helping somebody to their seats, you're doing it for the glory of God. And when people turn around and say things like, thank you so much for, for that because you helped me and you made me feel welcome and you made, all of a sudden there's a purpose to our serving and it doesn't feel mundane anymore and it doesn't feel like I'm just going through the motions anymore and it doesn't feel like I'm just out there babysitting kids and at night anymore as we understand that there's a purpose and our passion lines with our purpose and we start to see lives transform and it brings a joy and a meaning to our lives that we never would discover any other way. When you're holding a baby and you're you're praying over that baby when you're in kids' zone. You, you understand that I'm getting this opportunity to speak over this child's life and pray God's goodness and grace and mercy and purpose into his life. All of a sudden, you're not just holding a baby anymore, but you're doing something 
for the glory of God. You're in Ignite and you realize in this moment that God is using you to pour spiritual life into an emerging generation that you might be on the door, but you realize that God is using you to welcome somebody who's never been here before, that God has stirred in their hearts to come and you have an opportunity to be the first person that connects them to the purpose of the house. What seems ordinary becomes extraordinary because it's not a task, but it's a purpose that is directed by God and passion always follows purpose. First Corinthians 9.26, Paul says this, Therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I am not just shadow boxing. That's what Seth does when him and I play for it. He thinks he's boxing with me, but he's shadow boxing because I just dodge. And... Just punch in the air. Can't get me. I float like a butterfly and then I sting like a rhino. But you know what I'm saying? Sometimes in life it feels like, why am I doing this? I feel like I'm exerting a whole lot of energy and getting nowhere. Nothing's been accomplished and nothing is happening. And it's because we've lost the sight, that the purpose. The purpose. The purpose. You run with purpose, he says. I don't run aimlessly and I don't shadow box. I run with purpose. Every step I take, everything I do has purpose. When I wake up, God, today is your day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And whatever I do, even though it may seem, may seem big or where it may seem small uh, and it may seem insignificant, I'm doing it for the glory of God. God, I'm choosing to find purpose in this, in this mundane, in this moment right now, because I feel like, if I'm honest with you, I feel like as a church, we're kind of, and, and people, this always happens towards the end of winter. People kind of get in this funk and they kind of get flat about things, and then the sun starts to come out and everyone's happy again because summer's come. The thing is, is you can't get flat when you're going through winter because there's purpose in what you're doing. There's purpose in what you're doing. And, and the problem is, is that oh, I'm wishing that summer would come. I really want some sun. You're wishing the current season away. And when you wish the current season away, you wish away the purpose that's in that season that may bring the change that you're passionate about. See, God, I'm choosing to find purpose in this. That's what we've got to say to ourselves. I'm doing this for your glory. I, I'm not wasting my life. I'm not running around empty. I'm doing something. When Let me just say this to you this morning, and, and this is something that I'm trying to confess over my life, and I hope you confess it over your life, but when you walk into a room, the Spirit of God walks in that room with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. I, that means that when I walk into a room, I bring the Spirit of God with me. That means I'm a climate changer. You can go and protest in town if you want to about the climate, or you can be a climate changer. You can take the Spirit of God into homes, 
into your workplaces, into your community. And because he goes with you, you become a climate changer. I lift the moods of the people around me because I carry the Spirit of God with me. When I come into a dark room, the light comes with me. No matter what, how bad the situation is, the Spirit of God comes with me. When the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is life, there is joy, there is truth. I, I bring the light into the darkness. The darkness doesn't overcome me. I overcome the darkness because of the light that's inside of me. Because Jesus Christ is with me. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and it abides in me. And when I step into a room, all of heaven comes with me. I'm, I'm not bound by the place around me. I'm here with a purpose. There's nowhere I go that there isn't purpose to what I'm doing. I go with the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I work Walk with purpose. This step is purpose. And that step is purpose. And this step is purpose. In fact, Jesus said this to Joshua, wherever you place your foot, that is God's ground. Everywhere you go, you are taking ground for Jesus. Every place you step, you are taking ground. You are taking territory. You have a purpose. You are not just at work to earn your income to earn money to pay the bills. No, you're there because you're the right person to be in that environment, to bring the presence of God. And you have a purpose. And the purpose is, is that you're going to do what you're doing for the glory of God, no matter how mundane it is. And people will start to see and ask and question, why are you so happy? And then the glory of God comes into that conversation. Lies are transformed. Whatever you do, you're doing it for the one who changed your life because of what he has done in me. You need to know. This is what Paul is saying. Because of what he has done in me, you need to know. I work hard. But it's not me doing the work. It's the grace of God in me that is getting it done. The prize is not when you get the promotion the prize is when, not when you get the fancy car. And the prize isn't when your five-year dream comes true. The prize is now. The prize is here. The prize is in the moment when you do it for the glory of God. Because life isn't about me. It's not about indulging myself. It's not about treating myself. It's about denying myself. And I understand that the prize is the process it's the walk that I go through. It's the process that God takes me through. Is what makes me the person that I am today. The prize is not the end result. The prize is the process. Because he is with me. His spirit is guiding me. It's strengthening me. And because of that, I can be grateful in the grind. I can be grateful in the mundane because... You are with me. I can find joy in all things because all things work together for good for those who love God. Because your spirit dwells within me. Because you are working in all things to bring about good. I can be grateful in the grind. So because of that, because of that, I can live selfless, deny myself, and I can be grateful in every part of my world, every part of my life, and whatever I do, because I understand that in what I do, I do it for the glory of God. I'm doing this for the glory of God. I'm doing it for his purpose. This is not about my passions. This is about his purpose. 
And I don't know about you, but when I have a God that loves me as much as the God that loves me loves you, and loves you, loves us so much. You know, we had this funny conversation on Thursday at lunchtime. Got together as a family to have lunch on Thursday, had pizza box, and I'm like a good bit of pizza and wedges with bacon and cheese on top. And we had this, I'm pretty sure it was there, wasn't it? We had this moment where Seth says, oh no, it wasn't, it was at Dornay's house celebrating my nephew's birthday. And we're sitting there at the table and all of Trinity's family is around. And lo and behold to me, I didn't realize that Trinity and Seth had a bet going on about me. And Trinity just pops up in normal conversation and says, Craig, um, I'm thinking about putting up the Christmas tree early this year. Anybody that knows her knows that she's a Christmas psycho. She says, I'd like to put it up midway November. Is that okay with you? Which is a bit weird, for starters, because I'm not like some dictator that decides what happens. You know, not everything has to be passed by me. You know? Can I go to the toilet? No. You hold it. Seth is sitting there and he's going, don't do it, Dad. Don't, don't you cave into her. Don't you... Because they had a bet. They had a bet. Trinity bet that if she asked, I'd say yes. And Seth had a bet that I'd say no. Because first of December, the tree can go up. But any earlier than that, it's a no. Yeah, that's always been a rule in our house. And so Seth thought that he would win this bet. And Trinity just looked at me and she, he was doing all sorts of things. Don't you be a wuss. Don't you cave in. Don't you, don't you let him manipulate you. A little, little did I realize that he had said to her when they made this bet, you're not allowed to offer him sex or anything to get this to happen. <laughs> That's the kind of way my son rolls. Those is dead too well, probably. And she just said, can I put up the Christmas tree early? And I just said, yes. And he was just like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Why would you say yes to that? Because here's the thing. I love her so much that I want to give her the things that she wants. It's not my passion to have the tree up early. But it's her passion to have the tree up early. And what happens is that my purpose responded to her passion. And when purpose aligns with passion, things start to happen. And the thing is, is that God was passionate about you and I and his passion for you and I caused the purpose of his son to come. And his son to come and die on the cross for you and I because God was passionate about seeing us saved. But the passion had to be defined by a purpose of his son coming to die on the cross for our sin. And, and you may have passions, but your passion has to align with his purpose if you want to see the passion come to pass. If my purpose wasn't to, to love her and to have the whole Motto in life of a happy wife is a happy life. Okay, that fell flat. 
if my purpose wasn't to give her her dreams, then she could have been as passionate as she want, but I would have said no. But you have to understand that a lot of the passions that you have are God-given passions. They're things that, that, that sense in you that wants to accomplish something, that wants to do something as significant as a God-given passion. Can I suggest to you that maybe the reason why you're not seeing it happen is because you haven't aligned it with his purpose. And you keep on following your passions instead of following his purpose. Purpose aligns passion. Purpose aligns passion. And when you live your life going, you know what? What I'm doing right now, I may not enjoy very much, but I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm doing it for the glory of God. I'm putting up this Christmas tree for the glory of God. Jesus, help me. I'm doing it for the glory of God. Then all of a sudden, everything starts to shift in our worlds. And instead of us going through the motions or going through the mundane or going, you know what, I'm not re- this, my life sucks. All of a sudden, that purpose that you're hoping is just around the corner starts to activate itself right here, right now. Because if there's one thing I've learned about God is that if you're not faithful in the small things, you'll never see the much. <laughs>